This morning, I'm feeling loved. It's been a week of feeling good about myself. Uh, the reason for my swagger is that I've received some wonderful invitations in my email box. I love invitations. They show that people are really interested in me. People want the pleasure of my company. They truly accept me and value me for who I am. Uh, for example, here's one from 4631118078 at Codexaha.net. You have been selected to get our exclusive reward. You simply need to answer a few quick questions regarding you experience with us to get a brand new $500 Delta Airlines gift card. Continue for free. Here's another from Costco. Hello, customer DJ Episk. I love that personal touch, don't you? All our congratulations, exclamation point. You have received a reward. You have been accepted, exclamation point. To confirm your reward, click here. I have been accepted. I can't tell you how that makes me feel. And finally, one from someone called Online Mart. Congratulations, exclamation point. You have been selected to get an exclusive iPhone 14 Pro. Well, I'm really touched by their generosity, but you know me, I'm an Android guy and I wouldn't know what to do with an iPhone, but I'm still feeling the love. Invitations come in different shapes and sizes. There's the kind you send not because you truly desire the pleasure of that person's company, but because you feel obligated. Uh, like that wedding invitation you send because they invited you to theirs and you're expected to reciprocate. Or because if you don't invite them, your mother will be upset. Then there's the invitation you receive because someone wants something from you. No matter how much they try to make it appear that they love you and want to extend good things to you, their hilariously transparent motive is money. And then there's an invitation that lands on your doormat like a drone landing on your front lawn. You don't know quite what to make of it. You're confused. The leader of your religious community is having a dinner party and you are invited. Now, this might be one of those invitations with an ulterior motive. It might be a stewardship dinner and the religious leader isn't as interested in your company as much as your pledge card. Or it might be a genuine expression of hospitality. The host is interested in getting to know you better. They want to enjoy your personality, hear your thoughts, and learn your story. Jesus gets an invitation from a rabbi to dinner in today's gospel lesson. He is a clergy aristocrat, a Pharisee, a man who, when he throws a dinner party, often has ulterior motives. Maybe you're invited because he wants to observe you, 
watch you, test you. This may not be the relaxing evening you'd hope for, but a stern examination. Not an honour, but an ordeal. Not a celebration banquet, but a condemned man's hearty breakfast. This is dinner and a show, and the show is Jesus. So Jesus accepts the invitation, and as he mingles, he watches people taking their seats at the dinner table. Now, as Episcopalians, we have no rules or expectations about seating, do we? When we walk into church, we look around, find an empty pew, any pew will do, and we sit down, don't we? It's not like we have a particular pew where we must sit, and if we find a guest in that pew, we feel a bit put out. I can't even imagine that in a church. So it's hard for us to think our way into this biblical scene where the seating plan almost has the same authority as the Ten Commandments. Everyone has their designated place at the table and it is based on class. The most important guests sit near the host and the least are furthest away. Some people in Jesus' society took this to absurd limits. Uh, There was a famous sect who lived uh, in the desert near the Dead Sea who every year reviewed the goodness and holiness of its members and then assigned each one their table place for the next year. It must have been like when we crowded around the classroom bulletin board when the exam results were posted Oh no, I'm last again. Now I have to sit at the end of the table near the drafty door, miles away from my friends. The hyacinth bouquets of that society would spend their lives cultivating their personas so they would be placed near the head of the table. This was an intensely hierarchical, shame-based society, don't forget. What people thought of you really mattered. Humiliation was an unbearable curse, losing face a crushing sentence. So the purpose of accepting the invitation to the Pharisee's dinner party is not really to eat, but to be seen, and hopefully to be seen sitting at the posh end of the table. So here's Jesus watching people jockeying for position. Now, if you're expecting him to challenge those who swagger proudly to the posh seats, you'd be right. And the way he does it is to tell a story. He paints the picture of a dinner rather like the one he's at. And he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, Do not sit down in the place of honour in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited. And the host may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take your place in the lowest. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he might say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
The truly great, says Jesus, are those who know they aren't. The heads of empires, whether they are built on, uh, whether they built them or inherited them, whether they be political and geographical or business empires or even religious empires, those emperors live in dangerous waters, shark-infested waters. The temptation to think of yourself more highly than you ought must be extreme when you have limitless amounts of power, money and prestige. Along with money, power and fame comes an attitude of unaccountability. People will behave badly and get away with it. They will do and say whatever they want because they can. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built? asks Nebuchadnezzar, an Old Testament emperor, moments before he collapses with a serious illness. The word of Jesus to political, business or religious emperors is alarming and urgent. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Jesus goes on to give some even more hard-hitting instructions to his haughty dinner companions and, by implication, to us. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours because they'll just invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor and the disabled, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Give to people who can't repay, show hospitality to those who can't return it, lavish love on those who can't reciprocate, but that's not fair. You can almost hear them protesting. This life is about quid pro quo. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's not just money, of course. We can function on a kind of patronage system in a host of ways. I will give compliments to receive compliments, gratitude to receive gratitude, love to receive love all manner of time, devotion and sacrifice in order to receive a good reputation. In 1990, a couple in Boston fell in love, got engaged and planned their wedding. It was going to be lavish. They booked a banquet room at the Hyatt Hotel and made the required down payment of 50%. All was not well beneath the surface, however, and as the big day approached, the groom was starting to get cold feet. I'm finding it hard to commit, he told his fiancée, and he asked if they could put the wedding on hold. Now, she saw through this facade. He didn't need time to work on his feelings. He just wanted out. So, after much weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, they parted for good. 
So the bride paid a visit to the events manager at the Hyatt to ask for a refund of the deposit. The manager said she was sorry, but it was non-refundable. The former bride-to-be had only two options, she explained. She could either forfeit the down payment or go ahead with the party. The writer Philip Yancey picks up the story. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt in downtown Boston hosted a party such as had never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honour of the spineless chicken of an ex-fiancé and sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminium walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants and addicts took a night off from the sidewalk outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night. Aren't you tired of the transactional life? Are you fed up with issuing invitations with the hope that you will be given something in return? The opposite of the transactional life is the life of grace, the life of following Christ, the kind that forces us to give and give with no expectations because it's just what we have to do. And so this morning, let us RSVP to the gracious, beautiful invitation of Jesus. And then issue our own to those who can't invite us back. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen.